Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning folk. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be with you this morning and to in fact be part of a worship service here at the Heritage Baptist. But uh, the only other service that I can recall being at Heritage was when you guys were still at the Craig Hall Scout Hall, uh, which t- takes us back a year or two or three or ten, Mike. It must be almost a decade ago, but uh, the Lord has been good, and uh, I'm really encouraged this morning just to see the, the growth and the buzz and the desire to honor, honor Christ. So I bring you greetings from the Randburg Baptist Church as well, and it was a privilege to be able to partner with you back in April for the family conference. I unfortunately was away, but I heard good things. A number of our folk attended, and I've been catching up with a couple of those messages uh, on YouTube after the fact as well. Just encouraged to see what, what had happened in, in that way. If, uh, if you allow me just a moment of personal reflection, my misspent youth was actually at the old uh, Parkers Baptist Church where I largely grew up through my high school career. My ministry at the time was operating the uh, overhead projector. Some of you who are older will remember those animals. They had transparencies. You had to put them on. And then the transparencies would fall. And then you would be rummaging around to make sense of that. That, 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 that was positioned about here relative to this pulpit. So I I had many years uh, very close to this. I've never been on this side of it, but uh, glad to see this uh, piece of furniture has been repurposed for the glory of God and the proclamation of His Word. And we do pray that the woodwork would continue uh, to serve uh, you as a church well moving forward for the proclamation of God's Word. Well, folk, if you've got your copy of the uh, Scriptures with you this morning, won't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and our focus is going to be just on a few verses in the midst of that. Uh, There are familiar verses, a familiar text uh, to us, but I do pray that uh, familiarity will not breed contempt and uh, that the Lord would uh, make himself real to us even as we hear his word being uh, exposed and opened to us this morning. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read, in fact, a whole chunk from verse 1 in a moment or two's time. But let me open this up, hydrate, pray, and then we can turn our attention to this passage. Look, let's pray together before we come to this particular portion of the scriptures this morning. Oh God and Father, we come before you and are just humbled by your greatness. We are mindful of our own unholiness, our own unrighteousness. But even as we've sung, we've celebrated Christ and who he is, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We've just acknowledged his rule and reign over all things. Uh, even as we look at the world from pole to pole and consider him as the, the potentate, the king, the sovereign, we acknowledge that is true and we 
draw comfort and strength from that this morning, knowing that all things are being worked together according to the counsel of his divine will. Father, we're thankful for the fact that you speak to us, that you have given us your word, that you have preserved your word faithfully for us through the millennia. And Lord, we do pray this morning that as we come to the preaching of your word, even as an act of worship, we want to hear you, we want to humble ourselves before you, we want to express our need and our dependence on you, we want to respond to you with humility. Father, we do pray that your spirit would be at work. Lord, we do pray in the words of the psalmist that we would indeed behold wonderful things from thy law. Come, teach us, instruct us, encourage us, convict us, shape us, and cause our faith in you to be strengthened. And so, Father, we do pray that as we gaze on you through the lens of Scripture, that uh, your Spirit might be at work in all of our hearts, and uh, particularly for this church, corporately, that they would be encouraged to move forward with vigor and passion for the glory of Christ and for the sake of the kingdom. So, Lord, I do pray that the meditations of my own heart and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my God, and my Redeemer. Come and do your work in us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Folk, I think it's true to say that we've come through another crazy week. Eskom have done what Eskom does best, and they've certainly perfected the art of load shedding that I think has wreaked havoc with many of our lives, cooking and studying and business and people's livelihoods have been affected in very real ways. It's not just an inconvenience, it is oftentimes quite catastrophic for people. Uh, at our home in Blegari, we were off for 13 hours straight. We were promised a few times to come back on again and uh, city power just didn't restore. And I was acutely aware that both for our own residential property and uh, the church up in Bra uh, Bromfisher, that our alarm systems were off. The battery just does not last for 13 hours. And it was a somewhat of a sleepless night just thinking that if something were to happen, the panic signals don't work. Nothing works in terms of actually summonsing somebody to actually come and rescue us from that which might happen. There is fear. There is a very real sense of anxiety that can affect us through those dark hours. If we expand the thinking a little bit more beyond this week, I think we're facing as a reality, even in our own country, the rising of fuel costs. Uh, the Ukraine conflict has certainly affected us even here in South Africa. Our own church people at Randburg are complaining about food costs and what their trolleys cost and even just the very basics of life. Cooking oil has become a hot topic of conversation. How much does 750 mills actually cost now? It's, it's, it's increasing. Uh, and how will we manage? How will we survive moving forward? Let's expand that out a little bit more in concentric circles this morning. Think back to those dark days of almost a year ago when South Africa was gripped by that massive wave of unrest and looting and violence and destruction. We were touched by that in Gauteng, but particularly down in KwaZulu-Natal. And people's lives were rocked by that. And as we look over the last year, months, weeks, days, there are questions that are swirling in the minds of people. Not just out in the world, but uh, professing Christians, those that love the Lord, walk by the, uh, walk by the Spirit, who are in a faith relationship with God, have their worlds rocked by the events that are unfolding around us. And the questions come, where is this all going? What is happening? And when is it going to end? 
More particularly, how is it going to end? Will I and my family and my dependents be safe? Will we be protected? Will we be provided for? Are we even able to sustain the life, lives and lifestyles that we have? Maybe even as a local church. I know you guys are at and you're at, busy with a building project and exploring the way ahead as well. Where are we? Where are we going? Are we going to be able to continue to do ministry in, in an effective way? We consider even beyond that the religious pressures that are placed upon us within South Africa with the, some of the pushback in terms of the gospel and standing on God's word. Will we moving forward? Uh, be able to have the privilege of preaching the gospel as we used to. Folks, there are many very varied reasons to become wobbly and shaky and unsettled as we live life in South Africa. Life is uncertain. We live with the present sufferings. We are not living with the glory that is still to be Revealed the future glory that as the Bible promises us. Indeed, in the words of Job, man is born unto trouble even as sparks fly upward. In the words of Jesus himself in John's Gospel in the 16th chapter, he says, In this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation. We know that in some cases that is suffering for the cause of Christ. As soon as you call yourself a Christian and uh, take a stand on the gospel, there is persecution that comes. We, we know that. But even beyond that, there are just the realities of living in a fallen, broken, sin-affected world. We're not in Eden and we're not in heaven. We're in the space in between where we're affected by creaking bodies. Where our lives are touched by strained relationships and dwindling finances and sin and the effects of sin and ultimately sickness and disease and death. There are many varied reasons to become wobbly and shaky and unsettled. But folk, I think we need to realize this morning that our Father in heaven, God, does not want us to be rattled and wobbly and weak. And unsettled. As we track through scripture we can see that repeated in various ways and at various times. How often do the psalmists make reference to the man who will not be shaken, the man who will not be moved. James as he writes speaks about establishing our hearts and remaining steadfast. In light of the future resurrection and the hope and the glory that the Apostle Paul paints in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he makes the point at the conclusion of that chapter, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The scripture writers want us to be rock solid. They want us to be steadfast. They want us to be immovable. And folks, as we come to our text this morning, we see very similar language uh, that unfolds through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Have a look at the very first verse there in chapter 4 of Philippians. What does he say? Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, what? Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to those who are saved. He's writing to those who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and who are living in the light of heaven. And he says, I want you to be assured. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable in terms of your life and your faith and your ministry. 
Jump down just a few verses to verse 4. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. God wants us to have lives that are marked by joy. Marked by peace. Marked by stability. He does not want us crippled by fear and distress and uncertainty. That's where God wants us to be. The question is, how? Even as you sit here or maybe watching the streaming or watching the video a little later on, you're thinking about your life. You're thinking about your circumstances. You're thinking about where you're at and thinking, Gavin, but what about my issues with, with health and finance and my business and my unemployment and my unpaid debts and my marriage issues and my parenting issues? And when I walk out of this worship service, I go back into a cesspool of issues. How is it possible that I can be steadfast? How can I be movable? How can I have this joy and rejoice in and through these particular issues? My life is just a roller coaster of emotions. I think I've got it right for a season and then it just crashes down to, to the depths. I'm facing those, those issues in the midst of all of that and the irrational decisions that I take. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with stress. And you come and you say, just be steadfast, stand firm, rejoice. It sounds so easy on the page of scripture, but my life seems so far removed from those as realities. How can I have joy? How can I have peace? That's the word for today, isn't it? Peace. So children, look out for that many times this morning. How can I have peace to ride out those storms? How can I have deep-rooted joy as I face all this chaos around me? How, how can I enjoy stable relationships with people? How exactly do I rejoice in the Lord always while being rock solid in life? But can I suggest to you that the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4 give us some vital pointers in that direction. We haven't got the time this morning to explore all of them. We're going to hone in just on a few. But let's read the entire portion together from verse 1 through to verse 9. Let's just have the word of God wash over us. And then we'll dig down into some of the depths of that this morning. So let's hear the word of God. Philippians chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask, ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So far ends the reading of God's word this morning. We're asking the question... 
how exactly can I have peace and stability and joy in my life? And folks, if we just take a macro view, bird's eye view of this passage, we can see Paul puts his finger on a variety of different issues. He deals with the issue of peace with people as he addresses the conflict in the church. If we just deal with human relationships in a godly way, that can bring a degree of peace and stability where there might have been discord between people. So he deals with that issue. In verses 8 and 9, he deals with obedient uh, practical living in terms of what our minds dwell on and what we think about and what we do. And right at the end of that, what does he say? And the God of peace will be with you. So as you're thinking right and living right, God is with you and enabling you as the God of peace in those particular areas. That's true. But I want to focus our attention this morning on the latter part of verse 5 through to verse 7. And uh, just uh, try and highlight some key issues from those verses. The Apostle Paul is saying to us in those verses that the presence of God with believers brings peace. The presence of God with believers reduces anxiety linked with the very vital means of grace of faithful prayer. And that is something that is commanded and it is something that is promised. Let's just ponder that a little bit before we come to two applications at the end. Firstly, let's consider the command that is given here in these verses. The command that is given. The Apostle Paul says, do not be anxious. This is not a suggestion for us. This is not an optional extra. God has spoken. This is an imperative. It's a command. Do not be anxious. And I guess at the back of your minds, you're thinking, you're right. It's not like I have a choice, do I? I live in fear of stuff that I can't control. I live in fear of crime and financial loss and ill health and things that go bang in the night. My pension funds and savings are dwindling. I've got that terminal diagnosis. I'm, I'm, I'm living in fear of losing the relationship that is everything for me or, or not getting that dream job or losing the dream job. I live in fear of what people think of me. Anxiety is my daily reality. Gavin, how is it possible to obey a command from God saying, do not be anxious. Look at my life. I can't do anything but be anxious. And yet the command comes, do not be anxious. Now, folks, I think we need to be wise and prudent and biblical in our thinking this morning. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying develop some ostrich mentality kind of thing and try and ignore what is happening and bury your head in the sand and just have this happy, blissful, floating on the clouds, happy, carefree approach to life. That's not what God calls us to. We're called to wise living and wise decision making. As we track through the Old Testament wisdom literature, particularly Proverbs, we can see that. The New Testament shows us the same thing. The Lord teaches us to put safeguards in place to ensure that we take steps towards security and invest wisely and make provision for the future. Responsible Christian living is, is something that is honoring to the Lord. And so it's wise, even in our own space, in our own era, to identify dangers and to plan wisely. 
You know, when we leave here today and get in our cars, we, we should put our seatbelts on because that's a wise thing to do. We, we turn our garden beams on and our alarm systems on and where possible try and have a medical aid and a pension plan, etc. Because that's what God, biblical Christian uh, prudence would suggest. But those issues should never be the sole source of our security in life and death. Believers in God are to have a confidence in Him, in His sovereign plans that are wise and good. And we can see that through Philippians. And we've kind of parachuted down into chapter 4 today. But if we were to go back to chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has called us to look towards things that are above, not towards earthly things. If we were to read further on into chapter 4, Paul is going to make the point whether I'm well fed or in need, I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The issues of life and death and stuff and material things don't consume the believer. That's not where our primary focus is at. And I think with that kind of understanding, the command of God starts to make sense for us. Do not be anxious. Because our focus is directed towards Him. Our focus is directed towards knowing Him and beholding Him and trusting Him. If we've got a weak, deficient, anemic view of God, there will be anxiety. And so the command comes, do not be anxious, but that is linked with having a, a high view of who He is. That is high, that is exalted, that is sovereign, that is supreme, that is the all-knowing creator and sustainer of this universe. That for those who believe in Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, we're recipients of His love and mercy and grace and faithfulness and compassion. He's the one who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And in light of that, God, do not be anxious. In light of his person and his promises and his plans and his protection and his provision and what he does for us, do not be anxious because our gaze is on him. Peace and stability doesn't drop down on us like Prozac drifting down like a little cloud from heaven. Believers are called to action. Believers are called to obey this command to do not be anxious as we focus on Him and who He is and what we have in Him in terms of resources. Well, that's the command. But let's see the flip side of that. Secondly, let's see the promise that God gives linked with this command to not be anxious. And consider the glorious confidence that is promised to us, which we can see there in verse 7. Do not be anxious about anything. And if we jump down to verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Surely that's what we want. The theme word for this morning peace. We want to experience the peace of God. We've already seen that God wants us to be standing firm, to be steadfast, to be immovable, to be unwavering. As life and issues and situations and ministry hit us from different angles. In all of that, we want peace. What does it mean to have peace with God? I think we need to take one big step back this morning. It's not just about happy feelings in life. First and foremost, peace with God is about our salvation. It's about our vertical relationship 
with him. We've got to understand this morning that in our natural state, as sinful people, we're in conflict with God. There is a war between us and our maker. There is tension. We're rebels against him. We've sheep that have gone astray, each turning to our own way. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 48 verse 22, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That is a vertical issue. There is, a, there is tension between us and our, our maker. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes as the Prince of Peace. He comes as the reconciler. He comes as the one who settles the war and destroys and settles the, the enmity between God and man. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the believer in Christ has relational peace because he is our peace. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He is, he is the one who brings reconciliation between us and a holy God. And so believer, sitting here this morning, as you've trusted in Christ, believed in Christ, peace flows between you and your maker. There's a, a deep-rooted confidence that all is right between you and him through Christ. That's our relational peace. That's what it means to have peace with God vertically. But for the believer, that spills over into an experiential peace, a felt peace, a, a lived peace that we enjoy in very real ways as we live life in this fallen, broken world. The relational peace t teaches us that we've got peace with God, that we're in His arms eternally, that we're justified, that we're forgiven, that we're adopted, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as those great salvation truths infuse into our brain cells, it starts to affect our outlook in terms of life and living. Knowing that your eternity is secure, Knowing that heaven and glory beckons means that there can be a calmness and a stability in life as you live life every day. Think about it in real terms. What's the very worst that can happen to you? What's the very, very worst that can happen to you? You die, surely. And then, what does the scripture teach? Absent from the body? Present with the Lord. And so the believer in Christ has this supernatural, God-given, deep-rooted confidence in life because we know where we stand with God. We know that we're saved from sin. We're living with His Spirit within us. We know that we're destined for that glorious inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. We know where we're going. And those great salvation realities, knowing that we're right with God, brings a very real perspective in terms of what we face in the here and now. Now, friend, let's be real. This does not mean in any way that life is rosy and bump-free. This doesn't mean that there are no issues and no potholes along the road of life, that you don't go through any deep valleys. Just read the Psalms. See the reality of how the psalmists oftentimes speak about the, the pit, the depths of despair that they were in. God, where are you? Where, oh God, why? How long are the questions that they asked? And 
pick up the Christian classic Pilgrim's Progress and journey with John Bunyan's character Christian through the slough of despond and the valley of humiliation and giant castle of despair. As in that allegory, he paints the picture of some of the hardships and the sufferings and the periods and seasons that we go through as believers. But peace does mean that joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in God is maintained even as the storms hit. Even as the cracks surface in your health and your relationships and your finances are stressed and strained, the believer has a deep-rooted confidence in God in that and through that because you know that you're in Christ. You know that you're saved. You know the state of your own soul. You know the eternal realities of where you're going. You know God through Christ and therefore you can say, it is well with my soul. That peace. That kind of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, folks, it's important to realize, even as we consider that promise, what it's, it's guarding us. It's not necessarily shielding us from the external pressures, but that peace is guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That peace guards our inner man. That peace guards our spirit because it is the spirit that knows God and trusts in God and submits to his good plans. This kind of peace protects us on the inside and props up our thoughts and our emotions so that we don't fall apart internally even as things may well be falling apart externally. Even as the body might be broken and age and get sick and die, it is the peace of God that shields and shelters the inner man. This peace guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the staggering thing, folk, is this. Your friends and your buddies and your unsafe family just don't get this. They don't understand this. It's an absolute mystery to them. And that's what Paul says. It's, it's a peace that surpasses, that passes all understanding. This is not a peace that comes from therapy. This is not a peace that comes from psychology or popping some pills that are prescribed or through group sessions or from long walks in the garden or on the beach or through meditation or through trying to connect with some cosmic new age power. This is the peace that the believer enjoys because they're in Christ. This is our Holy Spirit produced peace, a, a fruit of the Spirit for the believer, which we know is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, self-control, etc. This peace that passes all, under, all understanding is God's gift to us to protect us and to preserve us and to take care of our inner man, our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. And so, folks, we see firstly the command that is given, do not be anxious. Secondly, we see the promise that is given in terms of the, the peace that will come. But we still haven't answered the question, how? How do I get this? How, how do I obey this command? How do I enjoy these wonderful promises that Paul is speaking about? How do I make that real for me? How do I grab onto this peace of God which passes all understanding? 
And Paul gives us the answer. He knows we're going to ask that question. So Paul supplies two key truths in this text that helps us. As we consider the command and the promise, we need to see two peace promoters, as it were, that assist us in obeying and grabbing onto and enjoying these benefits uh, that Paul has spoken about. So let's consider two peace promoters this morning. Peace promoter number one is God's presence with the believer. God's presence with the believer. And we see that in those wonderful words, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. It's a fascinating thought to ponder that we live in the very presence of God. God is spirit. He inhabits heaven and earth. In him we live and we move and we have our being. We go to that classic psalm, Psalm 139, that paints that picture for us so clearly. As David asks the question, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. For the night is as bright as the day, for his darkness is as light with you. The point is that we live in the presence of God all the time. He sees and knows Everything there is to know about our lives and our situations and our family and our circumstances because they're lived in his presence every millisecond of every day. And folk, if we're real, that should bring tremendous comfort to us because we're never removed from the presence of our Father in heaven. And if we're honest, that should also bring a rightful sense of fear and be a deterrent from sin because every sin we commit is in the very presence of God as well so there's that counterweight but folk here's the staggering thing as we track through scripture at particular times in special seasons at strategic moments in the life of his covenant people and individuals God assured them with a special sense of his presence. Yes, they're living, yes, we live in the presence of God all the time. But at particular times, God came. And as his people faced trouble and change and crisis and a, and a period of being unsettled, he assured them of his particular enabling presence with them. Consider, for example, Moses. Moses is about to go to Pharaoh. Those famous line, or famous lines, let my people go. And he asks the question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said to him, but I will be with you. Moses, the task's too big for you, but I will come and I will enable. As the mantle of leadership passed from Moses to Joshua, that a young man who's scared and fearful and assuming this role of leadership within Israel, what is said to him there in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. A God-given promise direct to Joshua, it's too big for you, but I'm with you. I'm enabling you. I'm going to help you. What about Israel? Israel. 
facing the prospect of exile into Babylon and the 70 years of captivity and hell on earth that they would go through. What does God say to them in that wonderful uh, portion in Isaiah chapter 43? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. My people, I'm with you even as you go into to exile. What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who's burdened and thinking God has deserted him. Oh Lord, you have deceived me and I am deceived. And God says to him by way of shoring him up in his prophetic ministry in, Isaiah, in Jeremiah 15. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. Why? For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. Jeremiah, chill, relax, do what you're called to because I'm sustaining you and I'm enabling you. What about us as believers? Think of the disciples and the apostles receiving that mandate from God that ripples through the centuries to us as well. Go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you're thinking, that's too big. I can't do that. It's beyond me. And what does Jesus say? And lo, I am with you. Right? Even to the end of the age. Wherever we look, there's those assurances that come. Gracious, tender words of comfort. I am with you. Yes, he's around us all the time. But at those particular times, there's, a, there's that sense of comfort and enabling. And God being there to ensure that the work is done in his power, not in our, our power. That his grace is infusing into us to enable us to do what he wants us to be doing. As we're working, as we're laboring, as we're serving for Him, God is with us, sustaining us in and through those tasks. That's surely got to be a huge comfort for us as we live life in this fallen, broken world. We want a strong presence with us, don't we? Even humanly speaking. When you go for a medical checkup, you want... Somebody to go along with you, a spouse, a friend, a family member to hold your hand to be with you as the slides, the x-rays are put up and the doctor points at whatever he's going to point at. To the little grade one on the first day of school wants to walk with mom and dad in that oversized uniform through the front gates to go and meet the, you know, you've been there. Some of you are still going to get there, right? You want somebody big and strong to be the assuring presence. And lo, I am with you as you go and face that thing for the very, very first time. And the Lord hammers that theme for us here. I am with you. The Lord is at hand. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit of God, is at hand. He is near. He indwells every single believer. Did Jesus himself not say in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans? I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you vulnerable. I'm going to send my spirit to be in you, to be with you, to empower you, to enable you. And so, folk, again, we ask the question this Lord's Day. How do I enjoy peace? How do I reduce anxiety in my life? And I suggest you peace promoter number one by being assured of the very presence of God with us and with you. God is with believers in every single situation that you face. At home, at work, at marriage, 
in ministry, the Lord is at hand. Those of you that are serving here at Heritage in leadership positions as pastors, elders, deacons, will know those unfortunate situations that arise when church discipline situations need to get effected even within the local church. What is God's promise to you even as those, those awkward situations unfold? For where two or three are gathered together in my name and contextually Matthew 18 we know that is about restoring and confronting the, the erring brother. What does Jesus say? There I am with you. I am among you. Even as you're doing that process to restore, the Lord's presence is with you in those situations. What about believers, and it might be you this morning, facing financial issues and temptation? What's the great promise given to us in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, what? I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Whichever angle you want to look at it. Whichever space you want to consider life and ministry and uh, where, where you're at. Cling to that precious reality. The Lord is at hand. Believer that is your certainty. And hold on to that rock solid assurance this morning. That glorious truth of God's presence with us reduces anxiety and promotes peace. Well, folks, that's peace promoter number one, the presence of the Lord with us. But there's a second peace promoter that we want to just touch on in this passage this morning as we seek to fulfill the command, do not be anxious, and cling on to the promises of that peace. Peace, pr peace promoter number two is the thankful prayer of the believer. A thankful prayer of the believer. And we can see that there in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, says Paul, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I guess if I were to put Michael or Pumalelo on the spot, uh, I'd have to agree with them. One of the easiest ways to produce guilt in a congregation is to preach on prayer. It's, it's, it's very easy to come and stand here in the pulpit and crack the whip and produce texts that rightfully show us how little we pray and how shallow our prayers often are and how self-focused our requests often are. It's very easy as a preacher and as an elder to slip in a millisecond from genuine exhortation to extreme guilt tripping. But I trust that would not be the case this morning. That the Lord would just stir us through the power of His Spirit to see the value of prayer uh, without some engineered cracking of the shambok uh, this morning. I want us to see, as God's people, the benefits. To see the benefits that prayer is the means of grace that God has given us to help us in our Christian walk and to help us in our faith. We need to see the value of prayer, particularly, particularly as we face the swirling storms of life. Not just for you individually or for your families, even for you as a church. And I was encouraged uh, to come here at 8.30 this morning and just see the, so many people gathering here in the, in the auditorium to come together and, and pray. 
But you're facing issues. You're facing decisions. Way to next. There are budget issues and decision issues and building issues. And you need God's grace to help you and to lead you through that. You need his wisdom as a church. How do you appropriate that? How do you grab onto that? Well, through prayer as a means of God's grace. Prayer is the believer's privilege that the Christian has access to God through Christ. But we just need to realize that this morning, this is not for everybody. This is for the believer. This is for the Christian. It's only the Christian through Christ who can approach God as Father. If you're not a believer here this morning, you don't have this privilege. You need to come to Christ first to be made right with God first to enable you to even appropriate uh, this privilege of prayer, to call Him our Father who art in heaven. But for those that are saved, for those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, for those that are adopted into the family of God, this is the believer's privilege. But it is also something that is commanded. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Again, this is not an optional extra for us. This is something that we're called to do. Prayer has been described as the believer's vital breath, life breath, oxygen, supply as it were. It's a sign of life. And so believers sitting here this morning, can I exhort you to breathe. To breathe and to tap into the vital relationship that, that God has given you and the privilege that you have in prayer. The question is about what? Do we just pray the SOS prayers? The emergency prayers? The crisis prayers? What kind of situations warrant prayer? Well, look at what Paul says there in, in that verse. In everything. In everything. This is an all-encompassing word. It's like nothing is excluded. Everything, in fact, is included under that. For can I say to you, there is no part of life and ministry and church life that is not to be brought before the Lord in prayer. In everything, you need to be praying. And again, as we track through Scripture, that's certainly the pattern. Believers prayed and believers are commanded to pray. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 and says, Pray without ceasing. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Whichever way we want to look at that, Paul says, Pray. Pray with praise and supplications. And the issue is to be praying, to be asking God, to be begging God, to be pleading with God, to be wrestling with God, to be engaging with God on our knees. Paul is not trying to give us a detailed manual and theology of prayer. He's hitting us quite simply with the urgency and the need for us to be depending on God as we pray. And I exhort you. Let prayer be the knee-jerk response for the believer. Let that be your default mode, individually and as a church. As you face issues, pray. As you need wisdom, pray. As you need the finance and the gifting and people, pray. It's not just for you here. We face the same issues in, at, at Randburg as well. 
As you're seeking to move forward, you don't need some new business plan or human strategists or the, the latest church growth manual of the bestseller list. Pray and seek the Lord in terms of where He wants you to be. We've got His Word. We've got His Spirit. We've got this wonderful means of grace in terms of a channel of communication between us and our God. My colleague in ministry, late Moses Siani, was killed just about seven years ago in a horrific motor vehicle accident. He served at our church for about 10 years, uh, between 2005 and 2015. And um, I can clearly remember in one elders meeting, Moz challenged us as elders with this line, Brothers, we talk too much and we pray too little. It's very easy, even as a leadership team, to sit and slip into discussions and conversations and head-scratching and where to next kind of conversations without coming before the Lord in prayer. Let that be our knee-jerk response. Linked with that is the attitude of prayer. In uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 14, as we just, just jump back in the epistle, Paul has made the point, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And the antidote there was thanksgiving. And Paul picks up on that thread here in chapter 4. Because our prayer is supposed to be marked by what? Thankfulness to God. Prayer is not supposed to be a whinging, whining, pity party before God with all of our discontent and rebellion shining through. Yes, it's right to present, as the psalmist says, the multitude of our complaints before the Lord. Sure, at times we come and we pray with the bitter tears of affliction that we read about in Scripture. But prayer is supposed to be couched and packaged with deep gratitude. As we consider God, as we consider His Word, as we consider His promises and His provisions and His people and the local church that we have and every spiritual blessing that we, we have in Christ, the hope and the love and the joy and the, the peace and Christian family, all of those issues are supposed to fuel gratitude as we come before the Lord in prayer. And so, folk, we're commanded to pray, to bring our requests before God and in a staggering way not to inform Him of anything. How do we inform an omniscient God who knows absolutely everything what is happening in our lives? We don't come to inform Him, but we come to express dependence to Him. We come as a child to a parent, humbly requesting a wise good God to do that which is best for us. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask. Before the words come across our lips, He knows our needs. We need a high, glorious view of His sovereignty and that informs our, our prayers. We don't come to pray to try and twist the arm of God. We don't come to pray to try and change the mind of God to do something that He really doesn't want to do. We don't go to our Father in heaven and try and haggle and bargain and purchase blessings with many words like some Middle Eastern sook with a seller and you're trying to negotiate the high three count Egyptian linen and, and force the price down and we're haggling with God. That's not what our prayers are about. No, we pray in order to receive the blessings that Christ has already purchased for us at Calvary. The great reformer Martin Luther said this quote, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. We've already got the blessing. And are we appropriating that and grabbing onto that in our praying? 
And so we pray with all kinds of prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. And folk, that means of grace, that kind of trust, that kind of petition, that kind of dependency erodes anxiety and promotes peace within us. Because our gaze is directed towards Him and what we have in Him. As we tie the threads together this morning, we've got absolutely no idea as to what we're going to be facing in the latter part of 2022, do we? We, we, we just don't have the roadmap. We don't, we, don't, we don't get that as a manual on uh, the January the 1st. In the Lord's providence, the latter part of this year, as we move from July onwards, may be a very, very good, great, fulfilling half year, or it might not be. We've got absolutely no idea where we're going to be individually and in our families and as a church by Christmas time. We may well be dancing on the mountaintops. We may well be down in the valley of the shadow of death. That irrespective of where the Lord in His providence takes us, He wants us as His children to be enjoying peace at all times and in every way. This text helps us. We need to learn how to enjoy peace and reduce anxiety by appreciating the presence of God with us and by that action of dependent, humble prayer. Can I exhort you? Use those means of grace to produce the stability and the peaceableness in your life, to reduce anxiety by being steadfast and enjoying the, the joy, the rejoicing in the Lord always that God calls us to. Question, as we close... Do you have that peace? Only the Christian can. And the Christian definitely should. This true peace is not available through any human source, but only through our relationship in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ that vertically we have peace with God. And it's only in Christ that we can live in this stable, joyful way in the midst of a fallen, broken world. As the storms of life do hit in church and ministry and family and work. It's through Him and our relationship with Him that we stand secure and steadfast. May the Lord Himself bring peace as we understand His presence and depend on Him in prayer. So can I exhort you as we get into the rest of this day, as Monday morning hits, the rest of the month hits, the rest of the year unfolds, let's live that with the confidence that God is at hand and that He invites us to pray and then to experience His joy and His provision and His promises as a very real blessing for us. And folk, with that in mind, let's indeed come before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you, Lord, again for preserving that for us. Thank you, Lord, for the very real practical instruction that unfolds. Lord, we confess our own sin of anxiety and fear. Now often we look at the circumstances and scratch our own heads and apply our own wisdom without looking to the glorious God-given resources that we have in your word, in prayer, in church, in fellowship, in godly church leaders. And Father, we confess that a sin this morning. How often we fail to obey your command to not be anxious. How often we fail to obey your command to pray. How often we've 
neglected a very real sense of the fact that you're with us and sustaining us and that your spirit is within us. Lord, we do pray, be merciful to us for our multiple failings. And through the power of your spirit, Lord, we do pray that you would take, take what we've reflected on from this portion of scripture this morning and indeed shore us up and cause us to leave here with a renewed sense of the peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.